Amen. Go ahead and yeah, have a seat. Uh, kids, you're dismissed to your class. Uh, while they're doing that, I'm going to take an opportunity just to speak into what they're doing and to speak into the life of the branch in a little bit and kind of how things operate here. So last night I got a text from Jordan saying, hey, I don't have any kids volunteers. I'm like, okay, hold on. We're talking about plagues tomorrow. Might need to find some kids volunteers. Um, not a great message for kids. Scare them with water turning into blood. Um, and I was like, well, hey, send it out to the member. Our members are all on a Slack channel. And I'm telling you, within like 35 seconds, all of our classrooms were full and we had volunteers uh, for our kids this morning. And so I just want to say props to you guys. If you're, if you're new to the branch, uh, membership is a way, it really is just a covenant. That's all it is. It's not a country club thing. You don't pay dues. Um, you, you are, we're covenanting together as brothers and sisters saying, hey, we're a, we're a part of this body that is called the branch church. And we're covenanting to stewarding what God has done here and what he's continuing to do in the future. And so it's that. That's what membership looks like. It's, hey, here's a need, and boom, the need is met. And so if you're looking for a new church, if, you, if this is your first time here, that's how we do things. Okay, so uh, we love our children, we care deeply for their spiritual formation, and there are people in this church who are willing to give up their Sunday morning so that our kids can, cannot hear about the first plague. Okay? All right. So, uh, with that said, if you have your Bible, we're in Exodus chapter 7, and we, we've been doing this, there been, if you kind of take a look around, it seems like every week there's a handful of new people. This is a week where a lot of our regular people are on vacation or sick, and so that's the reason we didn't have childcare. And so, but if you're new here, we're in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Exodus. So, second book of the Bible, uh, the second book of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. And uh, what we're doing, the reason we go verse-by-verse is because we don't want to miss what God has to say. Right? I'm okay with you missing what I have to say, full disclosure. I'm not okay with us missing what God has to say. And so by going verse by verse, we don't dodge the hard stuff. When things get weighty, we're going to press into the weight. Okay? And so today's one of those days. Last week was one of those days. If you, ca- if you need to play catch up, uh, you can go back to our website and listen to the last series of messages uh, that I've gotten. We're in week 13 of uh, Exodus. And so we're, we're, we will complete chapter 7. So we're just cruising along here. But we're in Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. I'm going to go ahead and read it this morning and then kick us off into the text. Okay, so if you have your Bible, you can follow along. This is Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood." The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile shall stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Verse 19, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. Verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank. 
so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven days, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to dive into your word. We pray that you would help us rest in it today. There's so, many, there's so much hope and there's so much promise uh, as we enter into the next few weeks discussing uh, these plagues that you've used to reconcile your people to yourself. And so we pray that you will help us rest there. Thank you for this church body. Uh, thank you for our kids. We pray for their time today, that little gospel seeds would drip into their hearts, that would grow up into uh, full blooms of salvation uh, quickly, Lord. And so we thank you for your son, Jesus, that you would uh, help us to always look to him uh, for guidance. We love you. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so uh, over the last few weeks, we've been establishing kind of this rhythm of what's going on, right? So uh, at the beginning of Exodus, there was a lot of disobedience. There was a lot of, hey, Moses, go do this, and Moses didn't do it, right? Hey, I don't want to. I'm, I can't talk good. Send someone else. There's been this whole thing of disobedience. There's a lot of doubt, okay, a lot of fear, a lot of uh, I'm not good enough, okay? And then last week, we saw this pivot where Moses and Aaron obeyed. And things started to change, right? This is last week's text was where Aaron throws the staff down, the magicians throw their staffs down, and Aaron's staff gobbles them up, the rest of the staffs, which is, uh, would be a cool thing to see, I would imagine. Um, but here, they continue in their obedience, okay? So we want to make sure that we're pressing into that, okay? We see that, hey, throughout disobedience, God doesn't turn his back on Moses and Aaron. He continues to press in. Now that's leading their faith has led them to obedience, okay? So not, not the other way around, all right? So a few things are going to be on the screen that I just want us to, to use to press in. So if you are new, this will help you catch up with kind of where we're at and the platform, the foundation of the series in Exodus, okay? These three things. The first is that God is serious about sin, okay? He's serious about sin and he's serious about mercy, all right? That's what we're going to see over and over again, especially over the next few weeks as we dive into these plagues. The second thing is that God will graciously go to extreme measures to get our attention, okay? AKA, I'm going to turn this entire river into blood. It's a pretty extreme measure, all right? The third thing is that God wants people to understand that he is God and there is no other, okay? This was the whole point of last week's text. This is the whole point of all the texts, really, is there's one true God, and he's the only one who deserves our praise. He's the only one who deserves our worship, okay? All glory, all majesty is his and his alone, okay? And for the first time, really, in Exodus, we get confronted with the Egyptian idolatry, right? We've seen it playing in the background, kind of in the, in the back of the scenes, but here we get it full on, okay, where their idolatry kind of overshadows what God's trying to do or what they think is going to overshadow what God's going to do, but because there's only one true God, it's not possible, okay? So here's, what, here's where I want us to kind of launch into as we talk through this plague, which really does set the foundation for the rest of the plagues, okay? So you have a foundational plague. Welcome to the branch where we're talking about plagues, okay? Um, and then we're going to have all these plagues over the next few weeks that are going to build off this, this primary basis foundation plague. But I was reminded this week, 
of the Westminster Confession, okay, which is a catechism. Uh, a catechism is simply this, okay, it's a, it's a question and response, okay, and the church, the early church in particular, and the church throughout history has used this as a discipleship mechanism, all right? So discipleship just being uh, growing towards the Christ-likeness. And so we use it in our home, uh, not the Westminster Catechism, but we use a catechism in the stewardship of our children, okay? So where, where we ask them a question, and then they have a response to that question, usually pretty simple, okay? This first question, the, the primary question that the Westminster Catechism is going after is this question, what is the chief end of man, right? I think that's probably been the question from the very beginning. As soon as Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, well, what is our purpose? Why are we here? What is the chief end of man? And the the response to that question is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That seems pretty simple, and yet everything is tied up into that simple response. Because I think a lot of times, and I'm going to talk specifically to Christians, so if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, you can zone me out. Just zone me back in here in a minute, because I think this message might have some weight for you. But if you're a Christian, how, how many times have you been in a season of life where you maybe you're trying to follow after God, you're, you're doing the Bible reading plan, and, and you're doing the thing, and you're kind of just going through the motions, but you're not enjoying Him? Have you ever been there? It's okay to do this. Okay, that's called uh, being human, Okay. All right, so when we're, when we're in those seasons, what we have to, we've we got to pray towards fruitfulness, pray towards joy, okay? Enjoyment, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is a gift from the Lord, okay? So here's, here's the answer to that, is there's no amount of work that you can do to create more joy in your heart. Joy in your heart is given to you. It's a gift, a free gift, by the way, from God for one purpose, His glory, Okay? So for us to enjoy him is to worship him. All right? So he receives our joy as praise, as glory, as worship. All right? So what's happening here in Exodus is that God is revealing his mercy through these plagues. Okay? I know that seems hard to wrap your mind around, but this is mercy and it's judgment. This is kind of last week we're trying to establish like, hey, these things are perfectly mingled together, okay? Because this is who God is. Our sole purpose, we say this every single week, is we're going verse by verse so that we can understand God's nature and his character, okay? Who God is, he's a God of mercy, amen? Amen. He's also a God of judgment, okay? Yeah, we get a lesser amens on that, okay? I get it, I get it, all right? But he's still one true God. It's not two different gods. It's not a God of mercy and a God of judgment, and they fight each other. It's one God who's perfect, and he is as equally mercy as he is wrathful. That's the same word for judgment, by the way. Okay, so if you're reading the Bible and you see the word wrath, that is God's judgment. All right? The, the staff being thrown on the ground is mercy to who? Aaron and Moses. Okay? It's swallowing up the other staffs is judgment on the magicians. All right, we established this last week that all the magicians can do, all that Pharaoh can do, i.e. all that Satan can do, is imitate. He can never create. Okay? He can only copy. And we see that in this text. This is a pretty significant text, by the way. Okay? One of the main themes throughout the Bible is water. Okay? And it runs from the very beginning all the way through to the very end. All right? the, the final water we see are the tears being wiped away. Okay, that's the hope that we have in the gospel. So if you're coming in today and you're carrying a bunch of weight, then just know that one day those tears get dried up okay, by the perfect holy cloak of Jesus as he wipes them away with his own hand. Amen. Okay, we're getting better. All right, 
So <laughs> here we are. So there's a few, I, w- I want to quote a couple dead guys to get us to where we are now, okay? Because I think this is important. We quote dead guys because if we remember dead guys and something they said was important, okay? It, we, we forget the dead guys who said silly things, all right? It's just the way that it works, okay? But dead guys who say important things, we tend to remember and we write them down. So I want to use these as a catapult, and then we're going to go back to Exodus 5, and then we're going to dive into, like, the nature of the plague, okay? So the first one is from John Calvin, okay? Uh, 15th, 16th century reformer, and he says this, our, our human heart, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory, okay? So we're doing this to establish idolatry, okay, as a foundation for the human tendency. Once we left the garden, once sin entered the world, we became idolaters, all right? Idolatry is what kicked us out, just so you know, okay? The bite of the apple, that's idolatry. Because it wasn't the apple, right? It was the, I want to be like God instead of to be with God. That's what happened in the garden. That's idolatry, okay? So the human heart is a perpetual idol factory, all right? Uh, Calvin's dead, by the way. Okay. Um, Sproul, R.C. Sproul says this, that sin is cosmic treason. Cosmic treason. There is no inch in the universe that sin has not impacted. Not a single square inch. But there's also not a single square inch that the gospel doesn't cover up. Okay? So, sin is cosmic treason. So, to catch us up, I want to go backwards to go forwards. Okay? So just hang on. This is Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Why do we have the plagues? Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever heard a sermon on the plagues? You have? I have not. Okay? Um, So this is my first. All right? I hope it's decent. Okay. So Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He's establishing who he is. This is authority being given. Let my people go. Why? That they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Verse 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? And the next phrase is maybe the most damning in all of the Bible. It's this, I do not know the Lord. That should make us weep. If you're in here and you're a Christian and there's someone in your life who that statement rings true for them, it should break your heart. It should. And not in like this symbolic way, but in like this gravity that comes down on that. This statement, I do not know the Lord. Because he could, he could know the Lord and still not let Israel go, okay? That's, that's the reality here, right? He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. So the fact that Israel is enslaved or that they're free is not really the point. The point here is that Pharaoh does not know who the Lord is. And so what Moses and Aaron are trying to do, they're not just trying to establish another little G-God into a complex uh, number of gods, some 1,400, okay, if you're keeping count, some say 1,500, tomato, tomato, okay? Whether it's 1,400 or it's 1,500, it's a lot of little G-Gods, okay? And over the the 10 plagues, each of them goes right after, right to the heart of an Egyptian little G-God, okay? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be teasing those things out. This week, the God that we're going after is happy. Okay, I think we have happy up here. Um, that's happy. Okay, H A P I. Does it's not beyond me that its name is happy. Okay, because this God, and I'm going to read read this to you, so I don't mess it up. Happy is the fertility god. So God of the flood, portrayed as a bearded man with female breasts and a pregnant stomach. Okay, happy's known as the giver of life. Through the annual flood, I was going to do some cultural context there, but I'm just not, I'm going to avoid it. <laughs> like the plague, okay? Happy is known as the giver of life. Through the annual flood of the Nile, 
It was said of Happy by the Egyptians that he slash she was the Lord of sustenance, the one who causes the whole land to live through its provisions. So at the beginning, when we talked about uh, Moses being thrown into the Nile, we, we kind of talk through what the Nile is, right? And if you remember social studies class in elementary school, uh, there's a lot in the Nile, right? It's a massive river. It's very powerful. It flows backwards, uh, but it floods annually, or at least it used to before they started damming it up. But it used to flood, and that flood is what sustained Egypt. So transportation, wealth, prosperity, uh, the food, everything was tied. Life itself was tied to the Nile River. And so happy is the, is the God of the Nile. So when the, when the floods would rise, they weren't scared of the flood. That's what provided for them for the next year. Because as the river would flood, it would leave like really rich topsoil on the banks. And that's where they would plant their crops. And so everything for them was tied to the Nile, right? The Egyptians were the powerhouse of the day. And so for the Nile to flood is for their authority to grow, all right? So for the Nile to be attacked, which is the first plague, it's not, it has nothing to do with the water. It has everything to do with who Egypt is, okay? And so I hope that over the next few minutes that we'll start to tease this out. So when we go back and we see that the, uh, the magicians would go in and turn the water into blood as well, right? So they're imitating, they're copying what God has done. There's two instances of what happens here. So the first is that God strikes, okay? Do y'all remember the word from a few weeks ago? What is strike, the Hebrew word? Naka, right? Naka. If you do it like that, you'll never forget it, okay? So God nakas, okay? He strikes the water, all right? And the whole river turns to blood, Okay, but there's another striking, and it's the striking of Aaron. Okay, when Aaron strikes, the river's already turned to blood. When Aaron strikes, all the rest of the water around Egypt also turns to blood. So, like, you, if you have a little water bottle, when Aaron strikes, your water bottle is now turned to blood. And don't be fooled here. When it says this, it says, "Where does it, let's see?" It says, uh, "This is verse 19." Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Listen to this. Even in vessels of wood. And then what does it say? And in vessels of stone. Why is that important? These were their gods. These were their gods. Okay? Happy was a wooden statue, or a stone statue. I don't know which one. Okay? All of their gods had these little symbols Okay. Now I've been, we've been at the branch, the Partrick family, my family has been at the branch for a few years now. Okay. I've been into a lot of your homes. Uh, I've never seen like little idols in your house. Okay. Like little Buddhas or little happies. This would be a weird one to put. We can take that down if you want. Um, this would be a weird one. <laughs> this would be, Hey, welcome to the branch. And then, you know, somebody snaps a photo and they see happy and they're like, we don't know who these people are anymore. Right. Uh, I've never seen like a little idol in any of your houses. Okay. And yet we have them in our pocket. Okay? This is, so does it have significance for us today? Yes, it does. Okay? We, we think that it's okay because we all have it. All right? Mine's currently being used, so I make sure that you get to lunch on time. Okay? But we all have them. And inside of them is the idol. It's not, this is just a box of metal and plastic and glass. Okay? But it's what's in it. It's, in the, it's at the heart of it. That's, what, that's where the idol is. They, they come in forms of little squares with rounded edges. Okay? It's our banking apps. It's our social media apps. It's our family text thread. 
right? We, first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is roll over and see how the market did the night before. The first thing we do when we, or the last thing we do at night is to catch up on Instagram to see who loves us, right? And I'm not trying to make light of it. This is reality, okay? And I think it's pretty safe to say all of us have something, and it may not be in the form of this. All of us have something that takes our attention away from God and places it into something else. The Egyptians just had 1,400 of them, okay? But we are they, and they are us, all right? And so what Christ came to do, what Jesus came to do, was to overthrow that. He came to fulfill that. He said, hey, let me have all of your apps. Let me have all of your little G-gods. Because one of the things it says in this text is that it, it was also the servants. Well, who were the servants? Who were the servants of Egypt? The Israelites, God's people. Okay, so were they impacted by the Nile turning into blood? Yes, they were. Because this wasn't the plague that just was only for the Egyptians. This impacted everyone in the region. Okay? And one of my favorite things, I love how we get into some real detail here. Okay? Um, it stank. With an A. Stank. I don't know. I, I should have looked up the Hebrew word for stank. I think it was stanky. Right? Uh, with like a ha in there or something like that. I don't know. But it stank, right? Because the fish died. Now, uh, there's a, a few years ago, Christian Bell was in a movie called Exodus. Did anybody see it? Okay, so here's what we try to do. Here's what, if you haven't seen it, don't waste your time. It's very long, and it's very heretical, okay? Uh, it may be worth watching just so that you can compare it to God's Word, okay? And this is the task that we have as the Christian, is we're going to keep going after God's Word, and then we're going to see where the world says that it's not true. And then we're going to say, but yes, it is, because this is God's word, okay? So in the movie, when it comes to the plagues, they try to, like, sweep the plagues under the rug by natural occurrence, okay? As if, if, if it was natural occurrence that God still couldn't be sovereign and have authority over the nature that he created, okay? So here's the way that it played out in the movie, is uh, when the Nile turned to blood, it was crocodiles attacking people, and then the Nile got turned to blood, okay? Because the, Niles, the Nile got turned to blood, then the fish died, and then the frogs came out. That's next week. You don't, you're not going to want to miss that. Okay. Right? And then the frogs die because there's nothing left for them to eat, and then the gnats come. Well, that's foolishness. Right? God, who created water, who created blood, who created frogs and gnats and swarms of things, right? He has the authority to say, go this way or go that. He has the authority to say to the Nile, you can flood or you cannot flood. He has the authority to say, you can go backwards or you can go forwards talking about the current of the Nile, okay? So for him to say, turn the water into blood, he has all authority to be able to do that. He also says uh, to dead people, you can have life again. That's the real miracle, okay? So when we talk about plagues, I think it's really important that the Bible doesn't talk about plagues. It talks about signs and wonders, okay? And what are signs and wonders? They're proof texts for the character of God. Mercy and judgment, Okay? Does Christ do this? Yes, he does. He comes and he does what? Signs and wonders. Blind people get their sight back. Lame people become whole. Okay? Little tax collectors climb trees and they gain identity as Christians. Okay? Zacchaeus, you know Zacchaeus was a wee little man? All right? Somebody, we were doing mic check this morning and I was like, we haven't done the Pharaoh, Pharaoh thing yet. Like we're 13 weeks in, we haven't said Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, let my people go. Right? That's, that's what's happening, right? So God has the authority, not just to turn the water into blood, but he also has the authority to soften Pharaoh's heart. Okay? That's the weight here. So when we're looking at happy, 
The whole thing here is to say, hey, your, your little G God is just a little G God. Here's a big G God with a capital G, and that big G God has authority over you. That was the threat to Pharaoh, okay? Ultimately, is that God is telling me what to do. That's the threat. Pharaoh didn't want any part of that, and so he hardened his heart. That's what we have to be careful of. Because we can come to church. We can read our Bibles even. We can show up to youth camp, summer camp, VBS thing. You can do all this, the Christian things, the Christian little C Christian things, right? Program after program after program, and your heart can be hard. You can grow numb to the gospel because you see it as what you have to do. This is what Pharaoh is doing, right? And yet Christ comes, and he says, no, 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 no. It's all on me. It's all on me. The chief purpose of God's people and the ultimate end of all existence is to give praise to the glorious God, capital G God. Eventually, the people of Israel get set free. Okay, So I'm going to fast forward a few weeks to the end of the plagues. Eventually, Pharaoh says, let go, just get out. Okay, It gets much worse, by the way. It gets much worse. A few weeks ago, we had sports camp, which I haven't had a chance to do this publicly, was a home run. An absolute knocked out of the park home run. So if you're a part of that team who put that on, way to go. Feedback. Get rid of the gnats. <laughs> okay? So it gets worse, right? You think blood in the water is bad. It's, it's really bad when it's all you have to drink. Gnats are terrible. Okay? So is death of the firstborn. All right? So weight is coming. All right? Things get much, much worse before they get better. And that is how life works. Through each plague, God's terms of release stays the same. Now, this is something that we've got to make sure we pay attention to. Okay? What does God say? Let my people go that they may serve me. And so what happens? Pharaoh hardens his heart, and he says, no, they're staying here. Another plague. What is the terms of release? Let my people go that they may serve me. Okay, nope, nope, I'm not going to let him go. The terms never change. God is who he is today, the same as he was yesterday. He never changes. So what I think we need to understand is that when we get into Exodus chapter 20, where God gives us the Ten Commandments, okay, we're like maybe six months away from that. All right? What are the first three commandments? Have no other gods. Don't make a carved image, which is don't have any other gods, right? Those are two things, though, by the way. And the third one, don't take my name in vain. Okay? Those are for God's people because of where they've been. Okay? So what is the tendency of the Israelites' heart? What are we going to see from them as they wander through the wilderness? We want to go back there. Yeah, there were a lot of little G gods, but at least we know them. It was safe there. We were fed there. We weren't thirsty there. And yet God's calling them out into the unknown, into uncertainty, into hardship. And he's saying, have no other gods. It's just me. Don't take my name in vain. Give me glory. That's all he wants from us. That's all he wants from us is for us to be his and his alone. And yet our world says, we'll just get a little bigger one. Just a little bit bigger. With an extra camera. That extra camera will bring you all the holiness you need. And we're laughing. And it's okay to laugh because I laugh too. 
and yet our hearts keep pressing into the secular, what only the sacred can provide. That's the scary reality. We keep chasing after things of the world, hoping that they'll fulfill us, hoping that they'll bring us, what was the chief end of man? Hoping they'll bring us joy. And guess what? They don't. They bring sorrow, despair, uncomfort, hate, division. Anybody want to add anything else to that over here? Bondage, yes, all of those things. And Christ is saying, come to me all who are heavy laden and lay your burden down. I will take it. Okay? That's the Christian gospel. That's the gospel of Exodus. Ultimately, lay down your idols and follow me. What I love about this is that God chooses to use Moses and Aaron here. Okay? So God does part of the turning the water into blood by himself. Just with his own authority. He just speaks it and boom, it was. And he says, oh yeah, I forgot. I got these two guys over here. I'm going to give them a little bit of authority too. Hey, take your, take your staff and go ahead and strike that water and see what happens. God's using us. Okay? Again, I, I don't wanna, I'm not trying to make much of the branch church, but just look around. How many people are in here who weren't here a year ago? Okay? And we're a church that exists for this place. Not, we're, not, we're not here for Egypt, although God, Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth. Okay? We'll, we'll do that. But we exist here. He put us here on purpose. He gave us authority and purpose here to serve the people of Lumpkin County. Physically, spiritually, mentally. So the things that we're of, the things that we're going to be a part of, are, hey, lay down your little G, God, and come follow after this God who sets you free. So you think that maybe your sin just makes you a bad person. Your sin actually makes you a dead person. And over here, there's life here. That's what we're doing in Exodus. Okay? That's what we've been doing since the garden. Once death entered the world, we've been trying to find life. The Egyptians thought that they had life through the Nile. They had no life. It was bondage. It was sin. It was entrapment. But I want to leave us here today with this quote from Tony Marita. We have his little commentary available out here. Uh, all of our family group leaders have it, which, Steve, thank you for setting us up for that this morning. Our church, we, we say it all the time, the most important thing we do is the preaching of the gospel. Just as important is living the gospel out in community. And the way that we do that here is through family groups, okay? And family groups are going to kick off in the next few weeks, so if you're not part of one, come find somebody. We will help you get plugged into one. I can't say it enough. It is the most important thing we do throughout the week, okay? Living the gospel out in community. And so as we do that, we prep our family group leaders with this book, okay? All that to say, get in a family group, okay? In the last section, this is at the end of the play, so we might quote it again, okay? Good thing we already have it on the slide so we can reuse it. It says this, who is your God, okay? Listen to what he says. This is God Almighty. He rules over creation alone, he doesn't need anyone else's help. Happy needed others' help. Happy wasn't, didn't have full authority to rule everything. They, it, he, she, could only have authority over sustenance. Okay? That was it. And it was tied directly to the Nile. There were like 12 other Nile gods, little G gods. Okay? But God rules over creation alone. Back to his quote. He is sovereign. He is the jealous God. He will not share his glory with another. He will punish people according to their sins. He is merciful. 
He will save all who cry out to him in humility, in genuine repentance. He keeps going. I skip a little bit, but he, this is still a quote from him. Mercy and justice are always mingled. And the most important, glorious act of mercy and just, justice happened when God put forth his son on the cross. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, was punished in place of us. He was crucified instead of us. He took God's wrath on behalf of us. That's the Christian gospel. Okay? That's it. We bring nothing to the table of our own salvation. Pharaoh couldn't. Hebrews couldn't. The Egyptians couldn't. Zacchaeus couldn't. I don't know how Zacchaeus got thrown into this sermon. We just threw him right under the bus. But we're all dependent on the redeeming, fully complete work of Christ. And that's it. And that alone. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So what is the chief end of man? Our end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you know how long forever is? It's forever. Do you know how long Egyptians' authority and rule was? It was pretty temporary. When's the last time you thought about Egypt before we started an Exodus study? God's kingdom will not end. Not anytime soon, not ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to close into, move into a time of communion, and I hope that's it. Would you enjoy him at the table today? If you're a Christ follower, the table is open to you, and we take the bread and you dip it in the cup and that's an, even an act of joy, as it's someone else's blood that was spilled on our behalf. It, it should have been our blood. Our blood deserved to be spilled, and yet Christ came, and he spilled his blood for us. And so would you go enjoy the table this morning? Remember him, that salvation is complete. There's nothing left to be done except for his return. So let's pray. Uh, Megan and Riley will come back and close us this morning. Father, we thank you for a time to gather together as the church here in Thelonica as it is in heaven. And so as we move our way through the book of Exodus, I pray that you would remove the idols of our own heart. Would you shatter them? If we're in here with hard hearts, would you begin to crack them? If we're in here tied to what the world says brings us joy, would you cut that tie? Father, I pray for the brothers and sisters who aren't here today. Pray for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, some who are gathering today under different circumstances where they're not meeting freely, where they're meeting under threat of persecution and violence. I pray that you give us just a little bit of their courage to go out into the world to proclaim the goodness of the gospel. So I thank you for this book. I thank you for... Moses, I thank you that you have all authority, that there's no hope found in happy. So would you give us courage and conviction to live the gospel in our everyday life? Would you help us to enjoy you fully and without ceasing? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.